guys have a copy of the scriptures, you might want to find John chapter 1. So some of you guys have heard this testimony uh, probably more than once, but somebody here is uh, getting here for the first time, so the rest of you just endure. But, you know, I wasn't raised in church, but I did go from time to time. I don't think you can live in the Bible Belt without landing in church some point somewhere along the way. My grandmother on my mom's side went to Ephesus Baptist Church, and, and I'll never forget, very impactful. They had a weekend revival, and, and uh, it was Labor Day weekend, as a matter of fact, so it would be like, um, you know, it would be like, whatever, 40-some years ago this, this coming weekend, and they did the whole Friday night thing, Saturday morning thing, dinner on the ground, Sunday afternoon, Saturday night, I mean, Saturday night, Sunday morning, and I, I done got about wore out on some church. And uh, it really wasn't for me anyway, but that Sunday morning, I was sitting basically where you're sitting, Amy, you know, right, sort of right there in, the, in, that, in that moment. And the preacher was a little crazy. Um, he had one point ran out and jumped up on the front pew, and he, he had his foot up on the back of the pew, and when he leaned over, it looked like his finger was right in my face. And I said, you know, this man is crazy. And I also loved it. And uh, this Sunday morning, he was preaching on re- repentance. And uh, came time for the invitation, and the pastor, it was a guest speaker, but the pastor of the church was standing up front. I came down and said, you know, hey. He's like, why are you here? I was like, I'm not really sure. Uh, and the moment it made me mad, his response was, well, until you know, I suggest you go sit down. And uh, it was actually sound counsel. He could have, at that moment, told me about anything, and I probably would have said, okay. And... Uh, it kind of made me mad, though. I went, I, you, know, you know how you kind of go back and you have these thoughts going, this conversation in your mind. Who does this preacher think he is telling me to go sit down? I'll come up here and ask him what the problem is. He, he asked me what is going on. But I just get, and I sit back down, and when we go to Lee, we're walking back to my grandma's house down a dirt road. And, of course, she does what a good grandma would do. She say, what you talk to the preacher about? I was like, I really don't know what I talked to him about. And she said, what happened? I said, man, I felt like God was telling me I needed to do something, and he and the preacher asked me what I was doing. I said, I don't know, and uh, she stopped, and she had her Bible. You know how ladies will sometimes carry their books like this? She had that thing, and she put her free hand on the side of my face, and then she, she grabbed my hand and put it on top of her Bible, and she says, all the answers to life are in this book. Went back to her house. She gave me, um, um, to be honest, you know, it was, actually a very cheap copy of a Bible, but she gave me one, and I kept it and treasured it and read it for years. Fast forward seven years, 15 years old. Uh, I'm going to shock some of you kids. Y'all are going to be blown away by this. But when I was 15, we did not have Internet. It didn't exist. And so we went to this place. Some of y'all have heard of it. It's called a library. And they had these things there called You've heard of them, books. Well, our library to this day still has a couple sets of commentaries. And uh, so I went there and I started studying the encyclopedias. I decided I made a list of questions and I said, I'm going to look at all the major world religions. And in this pursuit, I'm going to figure out what the truth is and I'm going to give my life to it. Now, let me tell you all what I wanted to be the truth. I wanted to believe in the Norse gods. I wanted to be a Viking. I wanted to go out and slay a bull and eat it and make a hat out of its horns. 
I wanted to get a battle axe. I wanted to go to people's villages and burn them down and drink beer and sing songs all night with my friends. It basically sounded like what we already did here. Just had to get a hat. Yeah, it, it was great. It sounds like NC State, it does. Well, I did it for a solid year. All the free time I had, I investigated these world religions. And at the end of it, I was so angry because the one that made the most sense, the one that answered all the questions the best was Christianity. But I hated that that answer seemed most right. I hated it because it seemed like the God of this revelation wanted me to do things I was not at all interested in doing. And he also seemed to be interested in me stopping doing things that I was totally interested in doing. And I did not like that salvation and the promise of heaven seemed to lie with Jesus Christ. And so I actively turned away from him again. Now, I don't know if anybody knows this feeling, but from that day, Labor Day weekend, 1979, until the day I gave my life to Jesus, I felt the weight of conviction on me, and it only grew. It grew in pressure and in size for years. I couldn't escape it. And it wasn't just, hey, stop smoking weed and punching people in the face. It wasn't like that. It was every day that my life is supposed to be something else, and God is the answer to that, and and I'm like, no, I don't want to know what your plan is. I want to do my thing. But after that year-long pursuit, it's like he quadrupled the weight and never let up. I've had times where I have literally looked toward the heavens and told God to leave me alone. But the most scary thing that ever happened to me was on March 2nd, 1997. I think that's what he threatened me with. So I surrendered my life to him. And let me tell you, I had all the intellectual answers wrong. I had all the, I mean, right. My conclusions at 16 years old, I was right. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I had all the emotional answers dead wrong. I didn't believe he could satisfy me. I didn't believe I could be happy. I didn't believe it would be fun. I didn't believe I would find a way to deal with conflict or be safe. I was dead wrong about all the emotional implications, even though I was dead right about the information. Why do I tell y'all my story tonight? Because we're going to read a passage. It's kind of a long passage, as you see. And Jesus is going to call these witnesses. And it never tells how they felt about anything. It just doesn't. You get one guy's prejudices, so you get some of his feelings. But I believe when God's doing something big in your life, both when he's telling you to stop smoking weed and punching people in the face and when he's telling you to give your life to the gospel, I believe it brings a lot of internal conflict. And those are a couple of y'all look at me like I'm crazy, particularly a couple of guests. I'm talking about the things he's telling you to stop doing and the things he's telling you to start doing can bring a ton of internal conflict. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever had that weight on you when God's dealing with you? They don't give us that part of the story. I simply want to tell my story to recognize it. I want to recognize we're going to name some names. Some guys are going to start following Jesus. And then we'll see as their lives unfold. They have a lot of questions. They get a lot of things wrong. I mean, a lot of things wrong. 
But the story is never about them getting everything right, them being good guys. God is gracious, and he's right. He brings them through his graciousness into his righteousness and shares it with them. And their unrighteousness doesn't infect his or ruin it. And tonight's just a story of how some guys come to follow him and their immediate response to it. If you have your Bibles or you can follow along on the screen, John chapter number 1, beginning at verse 35. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And they turned, um, excuse me, Jesus turned and saw them following and said to, him, said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Roxborough? I mean, Nazareth. Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite, indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will, be see, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Father, we humbly come before you. Lord, we are in a literate society where it's fairly easy to read a story and get the context. But this is the living word of God. This is the sword of the Spirit. This is a piercing word. Help us, Father, not to simply think of it as literature or a story or a dramatic telling of a historical account, but let us see, Father, that your word came from before the world existed. It will remain after the world exists. Your word is eternal. You are eternal. And through the revelation of scriptures, you invite us into a timeless relationship. Father, speak to us and help your children to respond. So I, I love this story because he calls these guys and you see these awesome immediate responses to, to walking with Jesus. And this is probably going to be one of the simpler sermons you've ever heard me preach. And I'll do my best not to muddy it up. But I have four big thoughts from this passage to share with you tonight. And the first one is this. Taking revelation and wisdom's directives, two of John's disciples began to follow Jesus. This is an incredible account. Now, we, the, one disciple goes unnamed. And without getting into all of the stuff, if you'll just trust me, you can do the homework. The, the unnamed disciple is most likely John the gospel writer. 
He has this habit here in this writing of not naming himself. The other one is named. It's Andrew. And they're with John. And just the day before in what we call John chapter 1 verse 29, John the Baptist had declared before a whole crowd of people, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now the next day, he's just there with some of his followers. And he says to them, behold, the Lamb. Almost written in this is a, didn't you hear me, boys? You know, why are you still following me? That's over. And, and if anybody does come to me, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just doing this. I'm just doing this. I'm just sending them on to the, to the one because the one is on the stage now. And, and I love this about John. I, could, I honestly could belabor it through all the Gospels. I love his story. Who would, at the height of their fame, who at the height of their fame give it all away to point to somebody else? That's not, that's not what people do. That's not what people do. At the height of even most ministers' fame today, what do they do? Start a ministry in their name. You know, johnthebaptist.com. You know, you know what I mean? That, that's what we see. That's, that's one of these things that I found marvelous in this. It's like the next day he goes, uh, you know, it's, if, if you'll allow me a paraphrase, hey, boys, remember yesterday when I said he's the one? He still is. What are you still doing sitting here? It's actually helpful sometimes to follow people to a degree. Hold on. All these years I've been telling East Rock, don't follow me. But it's helpful to a degree. You make sure, though, that the one you're following says, come over here and let me point you to Jesus. That's how you know you're following the right person. Come over here so I can point you to Jesus. You seem to be over here a little bit wandering around, you know, <laughs> disoriented. All right, I got you. Come here. I'm anchored in. Let me introduce you to the one I'm anchored into. So I love, in the midst of this incredible story, John the Baptist stays on mission, giving away all of his credibility, giving away all of his ministry, saying, there's the lamb, there's the lamb. And then the two disciples heard him say it, and they followed Jesus. And apparently they're following Jesus at some distance, and they're really studying him. And they, Jesus turns around and says, what are you seeking? What do you seek? What are you after? What are you looking for? And they tell him, we, you know, we want to know where you're going. Now, this is amazing. We want to know where you're going because we want to stay with you. Church, sub-sermon, if you're ready for it, say amen. The American people want to know where Jesus will take them when they're done where they're going. Like, I want to go be a very American-American. And some of us express that through politics. Some of us express it through hobbies. We want to know we got just enough Jesus that when I'm done going where I'm going, he'll take me where I want to be. This passage shows us what following is all about. Do you know why John and Andrew were sitting with John the Baptist? Because they were following John the Baptist. John the Baptist says that one you're supposed to be following is, is here now. Go with him. Jesus says, what are you boys looking for? We want to know where you're staying because we're going where you're going. If you want to get on and you'll walk with Jesus, stop trying to get him to go where you want to go and start asking him where is he going and go there. I tell you, it'll be disruptive because he might not be at all interested in your hobbies. He may be. He may decide to use them. But what I do is just start following him, and if he wants to use your hobbies. Now, I, I want to tell you, uh, there's 
I've had a lot of hobbies in my day. One of my favorite ones was playing softball. And at one time, Carrie, would it be fair to say I'd play five, six nights a week? Uh, I still went to work every day. I, I mean, I wasn't rambling around bars, praise God, right, I- anymore. But I noticed that the more that I followed Jesus, the more he took that away from me. And it was a big fight. I mean, it was huge. The final straw was when we opened the warehouse, and I was there every night. If I wasn't there, I was literally here. I mean, like, literally. Wednesday and Sunday nights, I was here. Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I was at the warehouse. Aaron, you remember some of them days. We always knew where each other was. Where are you? At the warehouse. Oh, at church. What day is it? That's where they are. Now, that wasn't a big deal. You don't have to go to the warehouse to follow Jesus. That's where I had to go. That's where he was leading me. But what I noticed was the stripping away of me leading me. Softball is just a metaphor. It wasn't just softball, but that was a huge one. I still have my bat in the closet. I should have given it away a long time ago. I just couldn't. I just couldn't. I still have my $155 kangaroo skin glove. And one day, one day, Michael, I'm going to tell him, don't call her to come back. I'm already here. There's, I, what I'm confessing is there's still some little corner of me that I just can't give it up. It's funny, isn't it? And I think this is a very telling detail. They've had a revelation from God, wisdom from John. They start to follow Jesus. Jesus, what are you looking for? We just want to know where you're going to make sure we go there. What if tonight you start asking that question? I want to know where you're going because that's where I'm interested in being. It is likely it will disrupt some of our plans. Somebody say amen. Isn't that a cool question, though? Is Jesus worth our plans being disrupted? Oh, amen. I agree with you. Secondly, secondly, I want you to notice something right away. There's so much here. Go to Life Together group this week, pull the passage out, read it again, hash out all the stuff you didn't think I covered because it's a lot. Secondly, thinking of those in his life who were waiting on the Messiah, Andrew brings his brother Simon Peter to Jesus. Now, how do I know this? What's the first thing he says? <laughs> he says uh, he goes to his brother and, and, and he tells him, we have found the Messiah. In other words, Andrew had been looking. I truly believe. I mean, excuse me, Simon Peter had been looking. And Andrew goes, bruh, we found him. All right, so how many of you guys, it's, it's, you're not wrong if you don't, but how many of you guys shop at Food Line? Who shops at Food Line? All right. Food every day. Wow. Wow. They need to give you an apartment there. All right. Food Line is brilliant. But in their brilliance, they make me so angry some days. Here's what they do. They'll move things. And they move them. Do you know why they move them? Has anybody figured this out? So you'll discover something else. And uh, the chocolate moose tracks used to be on the boulevard end of the store. And one day I went in there, and they was, oops so. And your boy almost had a meltdown. Ice cream pun. Nobody got it. And I'm getting ready to go get the manager. Christina, this is not funny. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, well, let me go down here and get this little loaf bread. So here I am traipsing down to the loaf bread, mad. I'm walking like, like them power walking people in the Olympics. I get the bread, I turn around, I'm coming back up the aisle, and I look, and they had moved it all the way to the other end. 
It, it, man, it was like a light came on. What? I was only going to get one half gallon. I bought every bit they had. This, you can't make this up. I mean, you can't make this up. I was like, I don't know what they're doing, but I'm going to get as much as I can. I saw a couple people that, that week and said, you know, I, they didn't have none of the ice cream at the ice cream store. Isn't that terrible? It was all at my house, every bit of it. I said, mmm, that's sad. I'll have people message me sometimes when they buy chocolate moose tracks. They'll be like taking a picture. You know why? Because they know I love it. I'll have people send me Duke's mayonnaise. They know I love it, right? When people know you're looking for something, okay? I'm going to give you all two big clues. Y'all ready? Y'all ready? This is going to shock you. Everybody's looking for something. Did you know that? Most of the time, secondly, what they're looking for is peace with God. They just don't know it. Now, you know, there's an old country song, right? Somebody probably knows it. Looking for love in all the wrong places. Looking for love in too many faces. Anybody know that one? Okay, sinners. Um, but I really believe Simon Peter was looking for the Lord. Some say he was, one of the, he was almost like a terrorist. Some believe Simon Peter was a zealot. The zealots believed that they could somehow get these pagans out of the Holy Land, God's glory would return. I mean, that's not new thinking today. <laughs> Andrew comes to him and says, hey, bro, we found him. And you know what Peter does. I love his response. He brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and put a call on his life. Isn't that cool? Renamed him. Do you, you, know, you know what renaming is? I won't get off on this, even though I really want to. Renaming is a sign of the covenant. He covenants with him in the moment. American ladies with your hyphenated names. The Christian tradition of marriage is a sign of a new covenant. We're just, we're, we're preaching that symbolism in Christian marriage. That's a whole nother story. I wonder though, I wonder, do we look around at the people in our lives and do we see what they're searching for and do we ever turn and say, I know what you're looking for? I mean, you might not know it, but I know it. And they, they may know they're looking for peace with God. You say, this is what you're really looking for. Can I introduce you to Jesus? You're not in charge of the relationship. You're not in charge of making them believe. But God has given us the privilege of introduction. Amen? Thirdly, thirdly, the next day, adding to his class, Jesus calls Philip to follow him. Now, why do I say this? Sometimes we think that Jesus gets a bunch of dudes to follow him as a strange thing. It actually wasn't at all. Notice what they're calling him? Rabbi, teacher. Guess what they would have likely have called John the Baptist? Rabbi. He had followers. It was very common for guys to get, let me give you a, just a modern day metaphor, to have Bible colleges. So the John the Baptist Bible College. And they would get students to follow them around, literally follow them around. Many times they would pay them. Many times they would come from wealthy families. Many times they would come from synagogues where they were getting somebody to, to learn the, the scriptures or to learn the life more. And they would come back to these villages having been taught by a rabbi so-and-so. And they would share the wealth of what they had learned with their community. Isn't that awesome? This wasn't strange at all. 
It, it also wasn't strange to steal somebody's disciples. What was strange for somebody to say, go with him. This was a big deal. Now, if somebody was dying, they might say, hey, you know, I'm dying. Here's a good choice for you from now on. John the Baptist knew his job was over. So Jesus, adding to his class, chooses Philip. Do you see how technical the call into Christian relationship is? Follow me. Some of you have heard this story. Some of you have never heard this story. But one of my favorite stories about Andrew Liggett, we saw each other at the bank. Was it First Union Steel then or Wells Fargo, whatever it was? Karen and I banked there through like 27 transitions or whatever it was. But I saw Andrew, and we were still kind of really getting to know each other. And, and I'd done my business at the bank, and he had done his business at the bank. And I had to go wash a bunch of sheets or blankets or something. And I was going uptown to do it at the laundromat. And I said a very Roxborough thing to Andrew. Come on, go with me. Now, you and I know that's a gracious way to say goodbye. But Andrew, being from the big city of Leesburg, and having the fine education that he had had under the tutelage of Susan and Paul, who were from Texas and New Jersey, respectively, had never discovered this colloquialism. So I drive up to the laundromat on Main Street, and here comes Andrew. And I start pulling out the laundry, and Andrew helps me. Well, I'm kind of lonely a lot of times, so I'm like, cool. And he stays forever. And I don't know at what point we figured out that he thought I was really inviting him to come help me do the laundry. But when he discovered it, we had the best laugh. And obviously, it's still... You swore. <laughs> I have never signed that contract, sir. Right? But listen, guys. We see in Jesus calling his followers exactly how he calls us. It's literally an invitation to follow him. Now, it takes two words to upend your whole life because what he's saying is whatever you were doing, it's not as important as coming with me, and I may totally reorient your life because of that. That's a wild notion, isn't it? He's reoriented mine several times. Several. Silly thing. You, you know one of my plans? I plan to never work anywhere no more than six months. Thank you, Tammy. That's how I feel every day when I go to work. <laughs> I wanted to roam around. I mean, it was just sort of a dream of mine. I mean, locally, and lo you know, regionally, whatever. And, and now I've been at the same place 16 years. And a lot of days, it lands on me, Tammy, and I go, yeah, what do I know, right? What do I know? So he adds Philip in a simple way, follow me, Philip follows him. He's from Bethsaida, which, you know, it's a funny, it's not really important, but you know what Bethsaida means? House of the fishermen. In other words, a fishing village. No wonder then it's the same place that Andrew and Peter are from. Fourthly and lastly, I love the call of Nathanael. Some, some, some translations call him Nathaniel. Okay, guess what? It, it's cool, man. Whether it's Ed or Eddie or Edward. But it's probably Nathaniel. <laughs> Just don't get hung up on that, Tim. Um, Nathaniel 
or Nathaniel. Either one's okay. He wrestles with his own prejudices. I'm going to tell you, this is, this is the one, the story that resonates so deeply with me. I actually don't mind my whole life being uprooted. I was sick of my life anyway. I don't know if anybody's ever felt that besides me. I was sick of me. Anybody ever been there? So, I mean, like, you know, so, some people just want Jesus to fix two or three things. I kind of wanted him to, like, completely start over. Guess what? That's what he was offering. I was like, yes. And you'd have to know me from then and now to know he, he really did. And you say, man, he needs to keep working. Amen. But what I love about this is I had some severe prejudices myself about what I thought following Jesus was versus what it really is. Nathan Nael's prejudice is this. Y'all talking about that boy from Nazareth. I ain't sure God has ever done a thing in Nazareth. He had this people group, this geographic problem. You know, I know what it's like. Somebody says something's from Durham. I say, take it back. They tell me it comes from somewhere like New York. I'm like that one salsa commercial, you know. New York City, get a rope. He had this prejudice. But how does God overcome it? He shows him he knew things about him that he had to know by divinity. Some people say that seeing him under the fig tree, that he, was the, that he was the follower of a famous rabbi who sat under the fig trees in that area with his disciples on a regular basis. It doesn't say that here, but it's plausible. What it does say is Jesus saw him right where he was before he ever saw Jesus. And Jesus tells him, man, I knew you was over there under that fig tree. Nathan was like, what? That was an homage to Michael Tuck. What? And Jesus is like, man, is that all it took to get you to follow me? He says, oh, boy, you're really in for it. You're going to see stuff way bigger than that. You're going to see stuff way bigger than that. All this to say, all this to say, and trust me, come to Life Together group, go to, go to a group, come to my group if you don't have one tomorrow night, go to somebody's group, you see them in the bulletin, hash this stuff out. But let me give you guys three big points of application. There's way more here, I just noticed the time. I don't apologize, but I'm going to stop. What I notice, what I notice is when people really hear the call of Jesus, they, they just follow. It's not... Can I follow him, like, for a little bit? It's just, where are you going? Follow me. Okay. I'm going to look at you. I'm going to be where you are. You're, you're the boss. And, and a lot of times our stories start much smaller than they'll end, like Nathan A.L.'s. He was amazed that Jesus knew him. Jesus is like, bro, you're going to see heaven opened up. Me seeing you under that tree ain't nothing. You're going to see things that you would never see without knowing me. So ask yourself, how's your following of Jesus affected your surrender lately? Secondly, I noticed that anyone that has seen Jesus' value has no problem sharing his value. Now, you just think about what your hobby or interest is. Let's say you like fishing. And let's say you like bass fishing. And generally, people who like bass fishing want a boat. Am I right or wrong? 
I don't know a lot about bass fishing. And let's say the average, I don't know, don't correct me. I, I didn't even look it up. Let's say the average bass boat costs 10 grand. Let's say that you heard through an email because you're on the birthday club of Bass Pro Shops that they were selling all models of bass boats for two grand for one day only down there at the place, Concord Mills. You would tell everybody you knew was interested in bass fishing. You would even tell people you weren't sure was interested because it would blow you away that they would be getting such a large value for such a low expense. If we ever see the value of Jesus, it will unblock all of our unwillingness to share him. Because not only do we get a large value, we get it at his full expense. You know why Andrew had no problem turning to his brother and saying, I found him? Because he found him. Thirdly and lastly, I think all of us can relate to Nathan A.L. on something. All of us have prejudices that Jesus needs to overcome. Do we have, do we have a spirit of conf, you know, willingness to be confronted? He's not going to change something in you if you always, you know, giving him the hand. Mm-mm, mm-mm. So I'm going to tell you one story in closing. True story. My wife used to hate it when I tell this story. She finally got over it. So, Carrie, buckle up. Happy birthday. I still don't know if she believes me, but it's a true story. I met Karen in the middle of June, 1993. And, uh, and I knew I liked her right away, and I knew she was a nice girl, and they're pretty hard to come by in any decade. And, uh, but I was dating these three girls. Now, none of them was my girlfriend because, you know, you don't give them that title. And um, I got Kara's number, and, and, uh, and uh, I didn't even own a phone at the time. Didn't want a phone, did not own a I had this cool thing called a pager. Yeah, you wear it on your belt, on your belt, and you walk around like this so people see it. But I, I, wanted, to, I wanted to ask Kara out. And I, I lost the phone number. It's a true story. But I knew what I needed to do was go break up with all those girls because I knew she was a nice girl and I was going to have to start from scratch. And so uh, I lost the number and I ran into her and I got the number again. And I called her and talked to her to what, about 3 in the morning that first night. Called her up. Huh? I went over to my friend's house and lay in, lay in the living room floor talking. They had one of those phones with the cords was about a mile long. Y'all remember... 80s, 70s, 80s people remember that. And I, I had that thing all the way in the corner as far as I could so I wouldn't wake me. And I'm talking to Carol on the phone, and I'm, and I'm broken up with all these girlfriends. And I just want to know when we can get together. And she's like, <laughs> we're going to play cards Sunday night. You can come play cards with us. And <laughs> say I'm lying. You can't. I even told her first night how much I like bluegrass, and that didn't, that didn't throw her off, you know. It, it hasn't, you know. Uh, and uh, true story. True, this is true story. I say this to honor my wife. I still don't think she believes in me, but I knew that I was not interested in any more casual dates, friend dates. I knew I wanted to chase her. I knew I wanted to, I wanted, I wanted to make her mine. 
I really did get rid of those three girls. And uh, one of them didn't seem to mind too much. The other two were angry. If we ever really, if we ever really hear Jesus calling us and we see his value, it will not be a burden to let stuff go. I'm praying for you, you pray for me, that we would realize the value of Jesus in a fresh way. And we stop looking at what he's asking us to do or not do and just start saying, I want to make sure I'm right where you are. I don't want to be behind you or ahead of you. I just want to stay right where you are. I want to abide. And that's the invitation today. Whether it's you beginning walking with Jesus tonight, where you hear him calling to you and you say, I believe on you. I receive you. I'll follow you. You take my life. You take my sin on the cross. You give me your resurrection inside of me. I'll follow you, Jesus. Or whether you've been walking with him for a long time and the heaviness of life and the and the difficulty of life has, has taken away the freshness of your walk. I believe he gives us the gospel and these, this, these passages like these so we can see it's really this simple. He says, follow me. We say yes, and he calls the shots. And we, we don't say but or, 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 or we just say yes, yes. Where you lead, I'll follow. That's the invitation tonight. Whether you're coming to him for the first time or you're asking him to renew your passion. If Jesus is calling you, just say yes. Father, thank you for the lives of, of John and Andrew and, and Peter and Philip and Nathanael. Thank you for all the lives that we'll see on the pages of Scripture. Thank you that you deal with people and maybe we're not like any of these guys but you haven't changed a bit God so as you call us as you meet us in our unique circumstances and call us help us to hear the same voice they heard to follow you no matter what it may be uncomfortable it's very likely to be uncomfortable but the reward will be worth whatever we let go of and whatever we have to endure. Thank you, God. Speak to hearts as we sing together. In Jesus we pray. Amen.